thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I want to welcome any new podcast listeners that we might have this week because we were blessed to be invited to be part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network of podcasts through our good friends up in Moscow, Idaho. And so if any of you have found us for the first time on uh, the FLF Network and are listening, we're just delighted to have you with us and hope you will enjoy today's podcast. I've been doing a series called Building, essentially restoring the foundations, and we've been looking at the common law that was so decisive to both the majority and dissenting opinions in the Dobbs decision by the United States Supreme Court reversing Roe versus Wade. And we've been looking at whether our understanding of the law and of particularly common law is in fact biblical. Now, I want to pick up on what I said last week in my confession that my own understanding of of common law after three years of law school and practicing law since 1983 when I graduated, how unbiblical in a sense my understanding of the common law was. And I didn't appreciate what the common law really was and why it was so important. Now, I've been growing in that understanding over the last several years, particularly since the Supreme Court of the United States said that state statutes that limited the issuance of marriage licenses to men and women were unconstitutional. That that really threw me into looking at the common law because I thought, what did people do to have their marriages recognized or acknowledged in the law before there were governments that created licenses and permission slips. And, and so what we're going to cover today is part of, of that journey, picking up with something that I said last week and its relationship to common law and history. So uh, let's take this excerpt from last week and then we'll pick back up. You see, common law was understood to be the working out, the telos within the sphere of law and civilization and culture and the regulation of culture ordered by law that was from the beginning. Okay, in other words, I had seen common law as a historical study, as as merely sort of Uh, data points along the timeline of history and didn't understand the development of common law as part of the providence of God and the revelation of God in history. Now that probably sounds foreign to some of you. It would have sounded foreign to me a few weeks ago, but it's because I did not fully appreciate the understanding of what revelation actually is. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to take some sections 
from Herman Bobbick's multi-volume treatise on, called Reform Dogmatics, but particularly the prolegomena. Now, for those who uh, are new to our show, I've referred to Herman Bobbick before, who is a, a theologian in the Netherlands, followed Abraham Kuyper there at the seminary where Kuyper had taught. And prolegomena is simply uh, the word that was used to, to describe first things, the things you first speak about, the things that lead to your understanding of other things. And as I've said before, much of evangelicalism today has as its prolegomena man, and particularly man's reason. And so we reason to God, then we reason to the probability of revelation, and then we begin our doctrine. Well, that, that's not the history of the church, particularly since the Reformation. Theology begins with theology. It begins with God. And I've noted that that's really what the Scripture says in one verse that to me encapsulates the whole story of the Bible and of our present times, namely Romans eleven thirty six that it's from him and things go through him and they are directed to him. God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. So I'm going to take today some of the things that Herman Bobbick said about revelation, and I'll comment on them as I go through, but, but I hope you'll begin to see how this understanding of revelation pertains to how we should understand what was happening in the development of common law. And, and I probably won't get to it this week, but I hope you'll tune back in next week because I'm then going to explain how the majority and dissenting opinions, minority opinions, in the Dobbs case both reject this understanding, this biblical Christian understanding of common law. And so that therefore, even if we advocate as Christians and as Christian lawyers for a return to the common law and common law principles, we can actually be advocating for an unbiblical understanding and application of the common law. So let me begin with a few things that, that Herman Bobbick wrote in volume one in his Prolegomena. He says this, quote, Revelation in Christianity is a history. It consists in deeds, events, which pass and soon belong to the past. It is a transitory act, temporary and even momentary, and has this transitory character in common with all earthly things. In other words, there was a point in time where God created in the garden. There was a point in time where he called Abraham. There was a point in time where uh, he called Moses. Okay, all those things were points in time, they were transitory acts, and in a sense, they were temporary, even momentary, okay? And he said, but still, Bobby continues, these transitory things, they encompass eternal thoughts, which not only had meaning for the moment in which their disclosure occurred, and for the persons to whom it came, but which are of value for all times and all human beings. Now, if, if you not dwelt on developing a doctrine of God, this part of his statement would seem perhaps a little unusual. 
that these events that were transitory in time and space took place and went into the past, he said, they encompass eternal thoughts, which really goes to the doctrine of the decrees of God, the eternal counsel of God. But Bavink continues and puts it this way, which I think is sim simple to understand. History is the bearer of the thoughts of God, the revelation of God's intent. And, and of course, that's why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans chapter 1, the whole creation is witnessing to you all the time. And but for the corruption that was brought about in your relationship with God because of sin, you would clearly see the attributes of God. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul says. His attributes would be clearly seen. Not just that, oh, there must be some great force or power out there that, that must be behind all this and maybe some intelligence. And he's saying you, you would actually have a lot of revelation. Because you see, Adam and Eve, they didn't have any scripture. The scripture didn't come along till much later with Moses. So, so the original intent of God was that my creation and the things that I've done in the process of creation and in showing you the garden that I've caused to sprout up around you, I, I've given you, I've equipped you with all that you need in the image of God as my image bearers to now do what I ask you to do, fill and form the earth and turn the rest of it into garden. Because of sin, that, that memory of that stuff, that, that, that understanding of those things, that ability to draw from those things was, was, became worse and worse or more and more thin or however you want to uh, say it so that uh, eventually God had to spell some things out in the Ten Commandments for us, right? And, and, and Moses had to write the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible for us. And so Bavink now continues. Scripture, accordingly, does not stand by itself. It is rooted in a centuries-long history and is the fruit of God's revelation among the people of Israel and in Christ. Now, this is, this is an important thought that he now comes up with. He says that over time, though, Scripture became detached from history and from the ideas and thoughts of God that were being expressed in history. In other words, we'd read it just like we, we read books in high school on history. You know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And, and we see those as history, and we see the Bible is telling us history, but it, he's saying, no, this history is actually God revealing himself. Th think about what he says in, in um, oh, I think it's the book of Hebrews, where he says, these things were done and recorded about the Jewish people that you could learn from them. He, he uses the two mountains in Galatians and says, these mountains are allegories. I was teaching you something through the creation of these two mountains and the way historically they were used. Do you not see that? You see, creation was teaching. And, and thankfully, we, we have the Spirit of God and the illumination of God and the revelation of God in Scripture to help us see that, oh, I get what those two mountains were about. Oh, I see now what was going on with the flood and why that had to happen. And I now see what was going on in the exoduses that took place out of Israel and, and the way they were then further explicated in the book of Isaiah. And now they're made clear in their intent and purposes with, with Christ who is now taking us out of the wilderness and reestablishing a garden 
where he is first found after his resurrection. When Mary says, I thought you were the gardener, there's a sense in which the answer was, yes, I am. I am the gardener of the new garden. I am the second man. I am the last Adam. And I will now, through those joined to me, accomplish what the first Adam was called to do. Wow, what a view of history. But he says, because we, we lost this sense of, of cosmology revealing to us things about God and that, that all the things of history, God is using and working and revealing himself in certain ways. He said, as a result, Scripture came to stand in complete detachment and isolation and made it seem as if it had suddenly dropped out of heaven. The mighty conception of revelation as a history that began at the fall, and listen to this, and ends only in the parousia, was almost totally forgotten. Now, I'll just confess to you, my friends, when he said the conception of revelation that ends only in the parousia. Well, that was a new thought for me because I'd kind of gotten the impression, maybe maybe it was yours too, that you know the, the canon of Scripture was closed. And the book of Revelation says, don't add one jot or tittle to it. And, and that's true. Special revelation has come to an end. But if creation is the revelation of God and providence is true, then until the end, the parousia, when, when Christ returns and judgment uh, comes to take place, well, creation didn't all of a sudden stop being revelatory, did it? Oh, uh, so yeah, the creation is revelatory, but only up until Paul wrote Romans chapter 1, and then after that, there is no other revelation apart from Scripture. Now, I want to be careful here. Because Bavik even got in trouble with people who didn't understand him, people who didn't think carefully and deeply, and, and said, oh, you're opening the door now to the Joseph Smiths. You're opening the door now to, you know, the Muhammads or uh, having new revelations to, uh, this is smacking now of popery, right? Um, the Pope's going to now add to the word of God and the revelation of God. And and they didn't read Bavink carefully enough. They didn't think deeply enough. And so I want to share what he next says that is so important to understanding common law and the, the development of common law, which, to be honest, as Christians, we should continue to be developing. In other words, it's not a historical fact that ended with William Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England or ended with... Uh, the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. It should still be ongoing, but because Christians have lost our biblical understanding of history and the revelation of God and of providence, we act as if these things are just mere factual data that we go back to look at and say, oh, well, um, looks like they criminalized abortion when the Constitution was adopted, and they still criminalized it when the 14th Amendment was adopted, so therefore um, you can't have a right to now to do what they considered criminal. And, and, and that's where the dissenters were saying, so you're just going to stick us in history? That 
that this right to contraceptive that you seem to want to keep, this right to same-sex marriage you want to keep, well, where is that in the history of at the time the Constitution was adopted or the 14th Amendment was adopted? You bunch of majoritarian hypocrites, you have to understand the common law has to evolve and change as we come to new understandings of who we are and of the nature of the cosmos. Well, I'm probably getting off the track here, but but let me uh, let me let me go back to what Bobink said about the revelation. If it's if it's embedded in creation and embedded in history in the development of history, then it can only end in the parousia unless it was arbitrarily stopped. Now, here's what Bobink says, and I'm going to quote some of this in full because I just think it's it's so good, and I don't want all of y'all to have to go out and buy volume one or buy the whole four-volume set. But here's what he says. He said, Special revelation, according to Scripture, has occurred in the form of a historical process which culminates in the person and the work of Christ. He's talking about special revelation. Then he says, But when Christ has appeared and is again taken up into heaven, special revelation does not immediately cease as a result. We know that to be true, right? We have the book of Acts. We have the Pauline letters. We have um, the Johannine letters. We have Peter's letters. And here's how he explains that. Still to come, even though the mystery of God, as Father, as Son, and as, and as Holy Spirit, has now been made complete and full, that's the great mystery that all of history was pointing to to be revealed in Christ and then at Pentecost. So Bobbitt continues. Still to come then are the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the extraordinary operation of powers and gifts through and under the guidance of the apostolate. Without doubt, Scripture still counts all this as belonging to the area of special revelation. And the continuation of this revelation in the apostolic age was necessary to give to special revelation, which had culminated in Christ, permanence and stability in the midst of the world, a permanence and stability in the text of Scripture, as well as, and this is important, in the existence and life of the church. Okay, so what is he saying? Jesus says, now go to the ends of the earth before he's taken up. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and lo, I'm going to be with you always. So in order to, to give permanence and stability to the Scripture and the culmination of the revelation in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ is doing, recreating, restoring, reconciling the cosmos back to himself, he said, we... We needed to have scripture to show us that is now being done. And so when the book of Acts ends, God has said, you now have a picture of the application of the knowledge and growing in the knowledge of who God is. You can see it through the book of Acts and the letters of the apostles. There we go. Now, then he says this, which is really great. But when in Scripture and in the church, the revelation of God that appeared in Christ has become a constituent of the cosmos. See, that's what was happening in Acts. It's being instantiated into 
the life of the world. Then, he says, a new dispensation begins. Just as up until the time everything had been prepared with a view to Christ, now everything is traced back to him. You see, that's what's being said in, in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. He's the eternal Son of God, the first begotten, the firstborn of all creation. So there, there is the place of Christ in eternity. But now, he says, he is the firstborn from the dead, the new creation, so that he has preeminence in all things, in heaven and in earth, which will, according to Ephesians, be brought together. Now, he says, then Christ was made to be the head of the church. Now the church is made to be the body of Christ. Then scripture was completed. We've shown you how this is being worked out in its constituent aspects of the cosmos through the letters of, of Peter and John and Paul and the book of Acts. But now you are to work it out. And Bobbick says this to those who are worried about Oh, you've now opened the door by saying that in history we could have a Joseph Smith and he could give us new revelation or all these other crazy people that come out and say they now have some new word from God that reveals something new about God. Bob closes that door. He says, no new constitutive elements can any longer be added to special revelation now because Christ has come, his work is finished, his word completed. And then I love this. He says, the question of whether the gift of prophecy, as in prediction, and of miracles is continued after the apostolic age and still continues is therefore of really secondary importance. Because what we really needed to know about who God is and what God is doing and has been doing up to the point of his death, resurrection, and ascension and thereafter in the apostolic age, we have all the content we need. All we need to do is figure out how to work it out when it comes to running businesses, running economies, running our courts, running our civil governments. That's what he's talking about. That's what common law was doing. He was saying, we now understand the nature of the cosmos we live in. It is ordered by God in a harmonious, fitting way with law pertaining to everything that God has created the law of gravity, the, the law pertaining to the development of flowers, to rocks holding their shape, to human beings in the image of God. It was a beautiful, perfect harmony, all ordered according to law. And now we are called, given this revelation of who God is and his purposes, to finish filling and forming and turning this, this polluted cosmos back into something that's restored and beautiful again. That the, the glory of God would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what the common law lawyers were doing. What they thought they were doing, or even if they didn't think that's what they were doing, that's how God in his providence was working through them. And Christians need to pick up where that's left off and not say common law is this thing that's in the past, that it's just old stuff and we go see what they did back then. Like, oh, well, um, you know, 
they dug wells and carried water from well and bucket. We have now running water and taps, and so we can't learn anything from the common law. See, that's the view of the postmoderns. You can't learn anything from any of that. How can you learn anything from any of that? Because we now live in a new age and a new understanding. We're not the same kind of creatures that they were back then. It's not the same understanding of the cosmos that they had back then. The cosmos has no beginning. It has no real end. It has no meaning outside of itself. There's nothing objective in history or in our lives or meaning or essence. So we just take the words they've used in the past about due process or life or liberty and property and we have to now just give them new meaning. But Christians have to reject that understanding of common law is dead and common law can be whatever we want to make it to be because this is not our world to make it as we want to make it, but to make it as to how God wants it made. And so he says this, and I think I'll close with this. He says, so to that end, to the end of working it out. The activity of the Spirit continually is needed. For the special revelation in Christ is not meant to be restricted to himself, but proceeding from him. Just as our righteousness isn't never in ourselves, but comes from his righteousness applied to us, by his spirit, an alien righteousness, an objective righteousness outside of us, that God, by the direction of the Father, the work of the, of the Son in purchasing our righteousness and in the spirit applying it, now works out in us, he says, it's to be realized in the church. That is us. The church is God's plan for the reconciliation of all things to him, not the Republican Party, not the Family Action Council of Tennessee. We are used by God. They are used by God because God uses all things, and all things are under his authority. But his plan is the church, us doing our job, and then externalizing our understanding of the knowledge of God and what God is doing in the world around us, and that changes things. So he says here, the aim of revelation, after all, is to recreate humanity after the image of God, to establish the kingdom of God on earth, to redeem the world from the power of sin, and in and through all this to glorify the name of the Lord in all his creatures. And I know I said that was going to be my last thing, but here's one other little thing that I thought was so good that it, that it ties to this, and so I want to repeat it. Bobbick describes Revelation, and we've been talking now, obviously, 25, 30 minutes about revelation, special revelation in, in written form and revelation in creation and in providence and in history. And he says this, revelation taken as a whole, after all, will have reached its end and goal only in the parousia of Christ, which is what he said earlier. But, but here he builds on that. But it's divided in two great periods, two distinct dispensations. Now, that he's not referring, Bobbick is not referring to what's known today as dispensationalism. It says, well, there was a work of God in history that dealt with the Jews, and then God stopped that work in history. He now created the church age. It's a spiritual age. Then the church will be raptured out, taken up to heaven, 
and then God will pick back up in this historical chain with the Jews, and then he'll kind of finish that work, and then when that's finished, you know, we'll all come together and be happy. That's that's a pure dispensational view, but that's not what Bobbink is talking about. Here's what he's talking about. The purpose of the first dispensation was to incorporate the full revelation of God into and to make it part of the history of humankind. That entire economy, that dispensation, can be regarded as a coming of God to his people, as a search for a tabernacle for Christ. In other words, he was looking for a place where God could tabernacle with his people. And the person of Christ, the incarnate, glorified Son of God. And think about it. And what if, in light of what Bobbitt just said, that the purpose of Christ was to bring back a kingdom where he could tabernacle with his people, which is what was lost in the garden when, when God came to look for Adam. He was hiding because of sin. And that tabernacling in the way God had intended in its beautiful fullness and richness and depth was broken. And so he's using the Old Testament history to say, I am preparing a way to be tabernacled with my people again. And you, Israel, are my people, and I'm tabernacling with you. But my, my, my tabernacle is not with you only. You served your great purpose, but now it will encompass people beyond ethnic boundaries and beyond a plot of dirt in Palestine. It will encompass the whole of my creation. Anything less than that is a small view of God. And now I see common law as calling me to engage in further revealing the glory of God in the sphere of law and government. That's the way to restore the ruins and build back the wall. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And to find out more about us, you can go to our website, factennessee.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.factennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.